Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 104 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, in uh, the Northern Hemisphere, it is currently springtime, and it is a wonderful feeling to not feel as though I need three layers to leave the house. I just want to get that out of the way. Yeah, having a light coat on uh, makes things all the more easy. It's the best feeling, and uh, one that I wish... Uh, everyone could have, you know, in their hearts. I don't know where I'm going with this, Angelo, but I want you to feel and groove with me before we move on to some of our more relevant tech items. All our, our listeners in the southern United States have no idea what we're talking about. They don't. They know the concept of snow. They do not know snow. Uh, as they get exists. snow from time to time. Yeah, but they don't know what a, like a snowstorm is like. No, they don't know how miserable it is. And then they'll say, well, why don't you move? My own boss actually last week had no electricity for two days. Oh, that's rough. Yes. So uh, uh, that is alive and well here in the world. That's too bad. <laughs> Moving on to our first item of the episode, now that we have all the pleasantries getting out of the way, because th- this is a business partnership, you and I, right? Like, we don't talk outside of the podcast. We we really just, we connect in the moments leading up to and afterwards. That's it. We never, ever chat during the day. No, never. Uh, it is very, very nice to not have to hear you talk to me about how you're going to move your uh, setup. Well, I moved it last week and I didn't feel comfortable, so I moved it back to how it was. And this is an insight to the conversations I get to have with you every single day of my life. Speaking of conversations having uh, to do with every single day of our lives, there is a Bloomberg article all about how uh, humans are listening in to your uh, Alexa conversations. So I always thought this was a thing anyway. The thing that bothers me about this article is that it seems like with Amazon, it's not really anonymized. No, the thing is that like it seems that you can find uh, enough unique identifiers to sort of pinpoint who these users are, uh, um, and that is, you know, a, a team of human beings going through, uh, you know, these calls. Google, Apple do something similar. The thing is, is that they don't actually know who's saying what. It's all completely anonymous. Whereas it seems Amazon doesn't really care. Well, it's kind of like the data that you collect that Apple collects uh, with their GPS, right? So uh, talk about like double ending um, the way in which it's like encrypted and then like stripped of sort of like a lot of the um, particular data attached to it. Yeah, they, they completely get rid of it. That That's one of the advantages of what Apple does to be, keep things private. The disadvantage is that it seems like their services are not as good as everybody else's sometimes. That is correct. So I think that there's a bit of a trade-off there. I don't know if that's a warranting a larger discussion or not. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, in this case, Amazon is listening to your phone calls. They have uh, teams of humans listening to you. There are a few things that were kind of distressing uh, when I was reading them, how they actually heard some horrible things happening, but they couldn't really report it, unfortunately. Right, which is kind of a weird thing to me if part of the reason why you're listening in is for... You know, why are these people listening in? Well, they're trying to make sure that they're understanding exactly what people want from, uh, in this case, uh, the Amazon Echo. I was going to say the the trigger word, but I decided not to just in case. <laughs> in case anyone's blasting us in their living room right now? With uh, their Amazon uh, Echo person. What What they're listening for is to make sure that when people actually talk to this thing, it's understanding because obviously a computer won't understand everything. They need to have, uh, let's say, the human touch there to understand the particulars of the human language. Right. So, I, I mean, like, I get that they're trying to improve the experience, but it's kind of weird that you uh, wouldn't, you know, report some of the nefarious and legal things that you've, you've probably uh, come across. Amazon just doesn't want to get involved. This once again ties back to our uh, trolley situation from last week, I think. 
Oh yeah, when you just a leave it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so in this case, Amazon is picking to allow the one person to die. Yeah, it's they are in a tricky situation in terms of legality, right? Because what do they want to do? They want to just tell people that, oh yeah, well we were listening, we were listening to this person's house without their permission, and this is what we heard. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like, is it any different than like uh, cops on a surveillance wire? Well, that that actually brings up an interesting point because apparently, two of the like the most heard phrases are, uh, "Do you work for the NSA?" <laughs> and "Echo person uh, is someone else listening to us." So these things are things that they say to the Amazon Echo pretty often, uh, which is unsurprising, really. But uh, you know, if you're a cop, you have to say that you're a cop, right? I don't think that's true. I think that's something <laughs> from the TV. Definitely not true. And that's, uh, yeah, entrapment is a very hard thing to sort of, uh, you know, legally get into. Uh, that is neither here nor there. I think it raises a lot of very interesting questions. I do think coming back to what you're saying in the beginning that like I, I live in a time where I actually don't believe anything any of these companies say, right? So I do believe that everyone's listening to me. I do believe that all of my messages are being read. You know, like I just, it makes it easier to sort of live my day to day life understanding that like I'm no longer a, a citizen of the world, a private citizen. Do you ever, um, have you ever watched The Good Wife or The Good yes. Fight? The Good and Wife, yes. You know, uh, there's those NSA people that they, they keep seeing everything. <laughs> yes. that I, I love that those scenes because those guys are just like, it's like a regular office job where they send each other memes and stuff, but then they're also listening to the public. Yeah, but I also think that it's like a, a pretty realistic take, I think, on the whole situation, right? Because everyone, it's an office job. It's just a different kind of office. <laughs> yeah, very different. I uh, I just wonder sometimes when we're we're chatting with each other uh, over uh, the Google Chats, which is I, I we we communicate basically through Google Chat and uh, iMessage. One is encrypted, yes. one is not. Yes. Whenever we're talking over Google or through our Gmail or whatever, I always uh, end up saying, uh, "Hey NSA, are you listening to this?" Every once in a while, I pull that out too because y- you wonder, right? They're seeing stuff. Uh, do they care what two Canadian guys are saying? Probably, probably not. not. We, we don't have enough good keywords in us, right? And it's like our friend TJ was saying, like, uh, if you start a sentence with, like, this is for podcast research and then look up really weird stuff, you're, you're covered legally, right? I guess. I mean, you could just say that. Uh, we often just talk about UFOs and Tom DeLonge and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hint, hint to what's coming up in the next couple of weeks, I guess. Maybe. We, no matter what happens, Tom DeLonge gets mes- mentioned every few episodes. Well, he has to be. I mean, he's, uh, he's a part of the game now. He is. He's very important. Speaking of being a part of the game, Angela, I linked you to a Polygon article all about a weird new home console that's coming out uh, that is very physically awkward. It almost seems like a joke. It, it almost does. It really does. It's But everybody's kind of jumping into this whole retro console thing that Nintendo basically started with uh, successfully in terms of the uh, NES Mini. And now Capcom's coming out with their uh, home arcade system. But it's like, if you thought the controllers for the NES Mini were awkward... Get ready. Get ready for next level. Yeah, if you want to go take a look in the show notes, we're going to link to the Polygon article with the YouTube video. But basically, this is a uh, two arcade stick setup uh, written on a platform with like the name Capcom on it, right? So it's either you put this on your lap or on a table or something. But if you're a single player, it's kind of awkward to play with because you can't, as I can tell from the video, I don't think you can um, uh, sort of take one away from the other. They're both just stuck together. The cap and the com do not separate. No, they are like, uh, they're not like the, uh, the, the enterprise, uh, they do not separate. Oh, too bad. Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting idea because it's some really amazing 
arcade hardware. Mm-hmm. It's like the real good stuff. Like you have to. I'm surprised it doesn't come with a little ashtray on the corner. Remember that in arcades <laughs> where like the plastic yeah. would be melted. So a couple of interesting things. So if you flip it over in the video, you get to see that the power buttons there, as long with an HDMI out and a USB cable, which I'm very confused about. I guess it's to power, but then what's the power about? Uh, but the USB might be for firmware updates. Oh, perhaps. Yeah, because they, okay, so in the video, they say 16 games preloaded, which sounds like maybe perhaps they're going to have space for more, right? Yeah, and you're going to need a really long HDMI cable. Yeah, the only good thing about this is that they're actual um, Sanwa joystick parts. You know, like they're actually kind of durable, well put together. That click clacky feeling you get when you hit the buttons. Um, yeah, but it also retails for three hundred fifty dollars Canadian. So that, yeah, so that's that's the thing you're paying for this really good hardware to sit in your lap. And if you're lonely, boy or girl, you're not playing with anyone. You're paying for a hunk of junk. Yeah, hmm. I think it'll probably be better than the PlayStation Mini. Yes, uh, and also I don't know. We I think we briefly touched on this, but the uh, the Genesis Mini is coming out in September too, right? That's gonna be kind of cool. So, but the problem sake is that they've been sort of like um giving their games to third party developers, right? So you can buy a bunch of these like pack in like, and it's been like maybe like I don't know like seven eight years of this, right? Where you can buy like uh, third party games with like really really crappy games built in there, and they're totally garbage. Yeah. Um, as I understand now, they're doing end to end themselves uh, in terms of being able to put this together. That's cool. I don't know how I feel about it. It is a hundred bucks Canadian. Uh, yeah. I'm and I think M2 sure. is handling the emulation. And if it's yes. M2, it's going to be good. Yeah, it is. And this is the first time that's like first party, right? So if you're not familiar with M2, they're the ones to do all those uh, Sega classics uh, on the Switch and PlayStation 4 and uh, Xbox One. I have trouble uh, with Xbox One. I stumble over that all the time. Xbox One. Yeah. X-Bone. Just call it X-Bone like everyone else does. Well, uh, if you're interested, they make really good games. <laughs> um, okay, so sort of to get back on track here, the Capcom Home Arcade has a couple of interesting games, including Captain Commando, Echo Fighters, Final Fight, the impossibly difficult arcade version of Ghouls and Ghosts, um, Pro Gear, uh, Street Fighter 2, and one of my favorite games, actually, that uh, came out on the original PlayStation, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, which is sort of like Tetris, but you fight uh, like a, uh, an opponent, either a human or a computer. I... I actually impartial to Strider, which I loved on the Sega Genesis. It was, uh, uh, did you know it was one of the first eight Meg games? Uh, it, right there, proudly on the box, it said, uh, Yes, eight, I do remember that, yeah. game. And uh, it was amazing at the time. Interesting to note, too, is that they have a port of the arcade version of Alien vs. Predator, so I guess that license was easy to obtain, because unfortunately they didn't obtain any of their Marvel vs. Capcom games, which I love all three of. There's also the, um, the X-Men uh, Battle for the Atom uh, game, Oh, that was a cool game. Yeah, I remember. I remember all these things. They they do have some nostalgia attached to them. It's just, will it be enough to sell something that costs this much? I think there's a niche audience that will be able to support the cost of this. A lot of people do love to play um, in, in this manner, and I do feel like perhaps this is hackable in a way that you can use it for other games afterwards. And also, when the video um, shows 16 preloaded games, I feel like the USB port calls for more, not only firmware updates, but maybe other games available. I'm hoping uh, that it. I'm hoping sort of because I'm I'm a Capcom fan. I've always liked Capcom stuff, and it'd be kind of cool if it's successful. I just worry uh, there's a sticker shock here involved, and uh, not everybody will be willing to pay for this but there will be fans of this and i'm sure it'll actually sell relatively decently uh when you think of it compared to the price 
Yeah, uh, a little bit cheaper. Uh, coming back to the uh, Sega Mini, right? So the Genesis Mini. There will be 40 games. They've released uh, 10 thus far uh, in terms of names. Uh, so Echo the Dolphin, Castlevania Bloodlines, Space Harrier 2, Shining Force, Robotics Mean Bean Machine, which is, of course, their uh, Tetris knockoff, Toy General, Comics Zone, which is incredibly hard. I don't know if you ever tried playing that. I remember playing that, yeah. One of those latter... It was a later um, game. Uh, yeah. I actually had it for the PC for Win95. That must have been terrible. Uh, it was actually okay. And, of course, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Altered Beast, and Gunstar Heroes, surprisingly enough. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, which is a great one to play in any setting. So, yeah, it retails for 100 bucks. Canadian, probably about 75 American. It comes out in September. So, that comes out in September. The, uh, the Capcom Home Arcade comes out later this year. They haven't announced a date as of yet, from what I could tell. Yeah, I'm just glad they could get the blast processing uh, in there. Oh, there we go. No, it's going to be October 25th. Oh, right around my birthday. Happy birthday to you, uh, Angelo. Speaking about your birthday, you're old, right? I am. Uh, something we wanted to touch on this week kind of globally in light of all of these like talking about the Genesis Mini, the Capcom <laughs> home arcade is the idea of like uh, different kinds of tech, right? So the idea that you were just saying like you're not sure if the Capcom home arcade will take off or, you know, will it just fizzle out? You know, kind of like a lot of the video game consoles in the 90s, like the uh, Jaguar, right? Or the 3DO, like where are those now? The 90s and video games uh, was an interesting time. And we'll touch on that later. Uh, and we talked about the Echo before. And when Amazon announced that, people thought, Hmm, I wonder if this is going to go anywhere. And, and now uh, it's like the biggest thing in tech is these voice-activated assistants for your home. That's that's like the biggest thing right now. Everybody needs to put one out. I mean, look, Apple uh, basically turned what they probably were going to use as a speaker uh, and uh, just shoehorned Siri into it. Yeah, and I do feel like uh, that picked up a little bit of steam. But of course, all of these other ones were out of the gate first, right? So early adopters were happy and then other people got to see the uh, the tech in action and then picked it up. We kind of want to focus on the stuff that like came out and had like mild success, but then really fizzled out. And where we see this the most is in video formats. Absolutely. Do you remember the Laserdisc? I sure do. Uh, so Laserdisc is really interesting. I never owned one. I own um, the first girl I dated. Seriously, her dad had a CED collection. This was the one when we I was researching this. I came across the CED and. Even myself, who's totally interested in technology, I had never heard of this. They're really cool. So basically what happens is that you feed a cartridge into the player, right? So you don't actually take the disc out, unlike the laser disc. And so it stays in the cartridge and it gets spun. And it's about, I can't remember how much per side, but, you know, a full movie can be like two sides. The interesting thing with Laserdisc, you would think those things would sound amazing, but uh, the sound was not like the 5.1 digital surround sound that you'd get with uh, the later DVD. It was just the same type of sound you'd get off a of VHS tape. It was also the first format, though, that allowed things like uh, director commentaries, though. Yeah, that was kind of cool because there was a lot more space on there. But the problem, again, with Laserdisc, though, too, is that it was a, like unwieldy. Like You had this whole weird giant collection, and uh, they weren't as as robust as even DVDs, like they would easily scratch. And yeah, I mean, apart from like disc rot, right? Like there's like a lot of that going on too. That's why it never really took off. It was like a, a rich man's game too. They were extremely expensive. Now along the same lines, we have the, uh, the HD DVD, which I like to refer to as the Betamax of uh, the high definition disc wars. So here's the interesting thing before I forget about that though, the Betamax wasn't actually that unsuccessful comparatively speaking. Like it wasn't a bust. Like there's still like a healthy market for, for a while. Um, it didn't just kind of fizzle out the way the, in which the HD DVD did. So I think there's like this weird misconception there that like Betamax failed right out of the gate, but really like they were able to sustain themselves for a little while. 
And that's why Betamax only makes this part of the as a reference. I didn't put it on the list of things that failed because it was actually used significantly more in professional markets than in the consumer market. Exactly. Yeah. So is like you know like news stations things like that were using Betamax because it was a higher quality. Exactly. Uh, but higher quality doesn't always win. And uh, in this case, Sony came out with Blu-ray, which was the winning format. I waited that out to see what was going to happen, and even then, like I. Blu-ray didn't last very long. Like people still buy Blu-rays. I'm pretty sure you buy Blu-rays because you're a cinephile. But uh, very sparingly these days. But yes, once you were able to just buy stuff on iTunes and just watch it on your on your Apple TV or get anything digitally, like Netflix kind of destroyed everything at this point. I, I just kind of wait for stuff to be on Netflix or I rent something digitally because I don't like having discs. I can't believe I'm about to say this because I know uh, someone in my household who is not me is going to mock me very quickly about that. But what about the extra features, man? So when you buy a iTunes one anyway, there are extra features. Okay. So you do have some extra features. In fact, sometimes there's like they're at parity with the stuff on the disc. Okay, fair enough. But not as 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 widely um, sort of like a propagated or as widely stocked as actual discs. Definitely not. There's a lot more on Blu-rays. So if you're interested in that part of things, yes, by all means, the Blu-ray disc is the best thing. But he, we're here to talk about things that weren't successful. And in this case, it was the HD DVD. Uh, I remember my friend buying a whole bunch with a disc player because they were super cheap. And he's like, well, I can still watch the movie, so who cares? Exactly. Yeah, I, th- I feel like a lot of people did that too, right? So, they, And they were like bargain basement. Like they were three, four, five bucks for movies. Oh yeah, brand new at the Walmart. $25 on, uh, on Blu-ray. The Walmart, I can't believe I just said that. All right. Uh, <laughs> let us head back in time, though, to a very, very uh, uh, interesting place to be if you're a, v- a video game fanboy, and that is the 1990s. Uh, VR was all the rage, and Nintendo knew this, so they came out with the Virtual Boy. And, of course, that uh, did not do well. Not at all. There's only 26 games available for the Virtual Boy. 22. 22, okay. So 22, 8 were only available in Japan and 3 were only available in North America. So not a huge library of games. I remember going to Walmart and trying it and hating it. I was playing the the Mario game. The, sorry, the Wario Land game, not the Mario game. Did you get pink eye from it? Uh, no, thankfully. But after like five minutes, I was like, why would I want to do this? No, it was really awkward. And um, it sort of ruined the career of uh, Gunpai Yokoi, who's the inventor of a lot of the things that made Nintendo successful, including the Game Boy. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think that uh, that sort of uh, soured the relationship a bit. Um, a cool concept. Um, that monochrome kind of uh, red and black, though, definitely fatigue. Yeah, and but the thing is, the graphics were actually pretty amazing for the time. Uh, there are a lot of really cool scaling effects and uh, a lot of like perspective changes and things like that. Absolutely, but it's just uh, it's just sort of weird. Yeah, it, it wasn't exactly uh, Nintendo's. Uh, shining moment let's say uh, i think it's well it, it's fact it was their worst and least successful console very uh very true and unfortunately missed up but hey uh you can't win them all i think they've mostly been winning though apart from the uh wii u what do you think of uh vr today uh i haven't had much of a chance to play with someone because i know that um you know sony does vr uh, I uh, checked out the Resident Evil remake at one of these booths a little while back. Not a fan of it. No, it. The thing with VR, they've been touting it as the next big thing 
for years and years and years. And so things like the Oculus and the HTC Vive and, and uh, as you mentioned, Sony, they, and there's even stuff like from Google, uh, they have that Google Cardboard, the Google, Google DreamWorks or whatever it is. Uh, there's the, uh, the Samsung stuff as well. It's not holding people's attention, really. I feel like a lot of VR is very gimmicky, and I feel like the big problem these days is that there's no useful or immersive way in which to enjoy AR or VR in a proper way that is sustained. Yeah, you mentioned AR, and that's the same thing. Apple seems to really want this thing to take off, but have you done any of the AR stuff that's on your phone? It's it's kind of boring. No. Well, do you remember the the demo they showed about the basketball? Yeah, it, it... Who cares? Really, like, like I know Tim like loves it. He's totally for AR, uh, but it's it's mostly just a gimmick. Yep, prove us wrong, guys. Double underscore density on Twitter. Last thing that we want to sort of talk about adjacently is just uh, the 90s were a really weird period, right? So the Virtual Boys out. There's like the Jaguar, the 3DO, which was uh, retailing for about 700 bucks US at the time, which is an astronomical amount of money to want to pay for a console with almost no games on it. I uh, did you were you clapping when you were saying that? Uh, sort of, like a little bit, yes. Okay. And you're totally right. Because when I was, I was growing up at that time, video games were the thing and the 3DO sort of cool. The graphics were amazing. I wasn't sure what to think uh, apart from that because of the price. It was so prohibitive for most people. You can't just go up to your parents and say, Hey, can I get this new video game thing that I'm not sure if it's going to do anything, but it uses discs and it costs $700. Yeah, well, more than $700 Canadian, right? So your parents would point and laugh at you. Uh, you know, the 3D on the Jaguar were these kind of things that were like really cool in a floor demo kind of way, but not in a bring home kind of way. Like, do you remember the Jaguar? And I think we've talked about this, the Jaguar controller with the the middle buttons in the middle, like the three rows of red buttons where it was like a, like a dialing pad almost. Well, yeah, it kind of reminded me of the controller for the ColecoVision. Yes. Yeah. Except uh, way bigger for some reason. Yeah. It was just uh, absurdly large for no reason. <laughs> It was like go big or go home back then, right? It was just like all in. And I think it was the first 64-bit system, but it wasn't really 64 bits. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, the go big or go home analogy kind of reminds me of uh, Sega at the time, right? So you had, you could buy the, uh, the base Sega Genesis and then the Sega CD attachment at the same time. You could also attach the 32X to your Sega Genesis, creating like a really weird megazord of shittiness. Yeah, it was not exactly the best thing. Remember, uh, also, they would have different connections for different games, too, so you could attach like the different Sonic games all to each other. But that was just based off the regular Genesis, though, for but, Sonic I think, But also, yeah, you could also put it into the 32X. There were all kinds of weird things you could do. Sega kind of uh, went nuts at that point, and that's when they pretty much lost the console wars, and it ended up ruining their chances in the hardware market uh, a few years later. Well, I mean, you're, you're mentioning something called the Osborne effect, right? And I think that like uh, them announcing the 32X and then very quickly announcing the Sega Saturn kind of killed that. Uh, that comes from when, I was going to say Norman Osborne, but that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, that's an entirely different universe. Yeah. Though Spider-Man Web of Fire was on the 32X. So there you go. So the, the Osborne effect was basically what happened uh, with uh, the Osborne Computer Corporation where like the founder pre-announced like the next generation of computer models. So then the current ones just stopped selling. 32X Saturn right there. That's pretty much what happened. Well, and also the the Saturn, the kind of like surprise came out. So Sega kind of didn't really know what it was doing at that point, unfortunately. Um, Did you ever play the Philips CDI? (laughs) Thankfully not, my friend. Nintendo, that's another botched Nintendo idea where uh, they kind of felt bad for Philips, where they they were going to use them for their CD 
on the Nintendo, and that never worked out. And then they were supposed to use Sony, but then look what happened there. It's like a double-edged sword, right? So the CD on one end uh, feeling miserably, and then the PlayStation doing really well. Yeah, they they uh, gave uh, CDI like some licenses for Zelda, and uh, those are the worst things ever. One of Gamelon. Just go. I'm not going to put in the show notes, but like go look it up on YouTube. CDI Zelda, and you will probably cry if you're a Zelda fan. And Mario Hotel too. There's a Mario Hotel. Oh yes, okay. It was like that weird, uh, like, like open doors educational. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not a good idea. No. Uh, any closing thoughts here about old tech that failed? Sad tech. Yeah, the, you know, we, we had mentioned Laserdisc before and they're all the full motion games as well, like Night Trap, which kind of led to the creation of the SRB. Uh, <laughs> th- that was like another really dumb but idea. I feel, like that's, I feel like that's an episode unto itself almost because we have all these different rating systems. Um, like the, the Sega had their own for a while for the Genesis, right? Oh, yeah. I remember with uh, Mortal Kombat ha- being rated a certain way. MA-17, my friend. That's a great story for another day and maybe we'll we'll cover all those old gaming um, like rating systems, I guess they yeah, were. Uh, yeah. They were all like proprietary until it finally kind of coalesced into the SRB, which has which its is own weird problems. because like uh, I I don't want to get into this, but like, do you remember Custard's Revenge? Yeah, on this on the Atari, which was yeah. absolutely horrible. The adult version of that, right? And I feel like that is when they would have introduced uh, some kind of rating system, but uh, not that was way worse than actual uh, the idea behind it. It was way worse than Night Trap. Yes, absolutely. Well, we won't get into that too much. You know what? Let us, let us do an episode on that. If, if there's interest, uh, double underscore density on Twitter. Let us know if you're interested in us talking about rating systems, uh, you know, adult themes in video games, et cetera, et cetera. I think with that, uh, we're going to let this uh, segment fizzle out like the technology and uh, head off to the paranormal. That was so dad-like of you, Angelo, and I will see you there, my highlighting friend. It's the Legend of Zelda, and it's really rad. Those creatures from Ghana are pretty bad. Octorox Tech Tech's Libras, too. But with your help, our hero pulls through. Yeah, go Link. Yeah, get some. Awesome. Intense. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Your parents help you hook it up. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So the first thing I want to talk about this week is sort of a follow-up from uh, two episodes ago, right? So episode 102, we talked about UFOs over Michigan. So there was that 19, the March 1994 flap. So I uh, dug something up that I found a little interesting um, that kind of marries that with what I want to talk about this week. So uh, apparently there was a massive UFO over Lake Michigan uh, reported in uh, March of this year. And there's a video from newsinsideout.com, which is, a, of course, a very dubious website in which to borrow things from so we're not saying that it is a you know bastion of news but it was interesting i wanted to get uh, angela's um sort of take on this and um while we had put this in the notes uh something happened some uh news came out and the truth was revealed so first things first let us talk about the actual quote-unquote sighting angela you watched the video i actually didn't watch the video i just read the article uh i, I okay i'll tell you why i didn't want to click on it because i didn't want to ruin my youtube algorithm no right of course but I, I read the article, and uh, the thing that really stuck out to me and bothered me is that the person who saw this UFO, for some reason, wasn't able to capture it with his iPhone. Right. Could you read the actual quote from the, the article, which I feel is a lot better? Okay. Unable to capture the subject with his iPhone, he enlisted help from his neighbor, Jeff Lavica, at 8.45 p.m. local time. The videographer then successfully imaged the mysterious event using a Samsung Galaxy S4, emphasis mine, and was able to observe <laughs> the incident until approximately 11.30 p.m. An S4, what, how old is that? And how oh, is that better gosh. than an iPhone? 
Also, it was shooting for what, like two and a half hours almost? Did he have an iPhone like 3GS maybe? I don't know. I don't that know. would explain it. So I found this kind of interesting uh, just as a fun little kind of uh, piece of news because, of course, we talked about Michigan, Lake Michigan. And uh, this ties into something that we were talking about when we had our guest Zach Saichi on, which was UFOs hanging around power plants. Power plants and nuclear pl- uh, and uh, nuclear test facilities and it's pronounced missile nuclear, sites. Nuclear. Oh. Nuclear. <laughs> Missiles you'll, and things like that. I Yeah, that's something. And uh, based on the second article... And the update to it, I kind of have a reason as to why maybe they hang around them. So my favorite thing is that in the middle of the original article all about this, they start talking about John Carpenter's Starman. That was a weird reference. It was just, uh, yeah. It was just thrown in there because basically it was as if this UFO was similar to that one where it was coming to Earth. and Did it crash in Starman or something like that? Yes. And this was the same thing because according to this trained witness, uh, I believe he was a former Marine, Correct. he was certain that this thing was the size of a Star Destroyer. It was He huge. called it a massive UFO. So, Angela, let us get into the truth about this. Um, so, a couple of days. So, this came out April 10th, April 15th. Uh, the incident was downgraded. Um, do you I love that they tell, use those words downgraded as well. Do you care to tell our listeners why, my friend? <laughs> so we went from a Star Destroyer-sized ship to, and I quote, most likely images of streetlights and cars on the ground. What? Now, so this basically, so what does this prove, Brian? It proves that even somebody trained like a Marine can make a mistake because humans are going to be humans. Right. It, it- so if you head over to the downgraded article, they show pictures of daylight matching up to nighttime activities. So basically what had happened is that someone, uh, I guess, uh, mistook the their surroundings for aliens. It's kind of a sad story because people see something strange and they automatically just assume not the worst, but the most fantastical. No. If you actually watch the original video, you can very easily tell it's a streetlight based on its size, shape, and the way that it sort of like uh, has halos around it. The problem is, is that when somebody's seeing something and they decided it's weird, they're going to keep thinking it's weird. Yeah, of course. And they're going to find it interesting. And that's what happens. And so we mentioned uh, UFOs hanging around power plants. What else is around power plants, Brian? <laughs> mutants. No. Uh, tall, <laughs> tall mutants. No, not mutants, Brian. There's usually like tall towers with lights on them or lots of lights everywhere, maybe set up in a strange way because power plants are not set up like normal buildings. There's a lot of things going on there. Okay, okay, Professor Science. You don't think that it's probably because there's so many lights in different configurations around power plants that people see UFOs around them? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, the thing is that like a lot of these like have elevated fences, right? So the idea that you have that, sometimes there's even guard posts depending on the situation. There are watchtowers and things like that. There's a, a lot of chances for very tall lights to exist in and around a power plant. Exactly. And Sorry, now all, you, in, all, in, all in Brian 2019 also would like to add, you're wrong, Angela. Now, you also linked me an article uh, from uh, MUFON. Yes, uh, and the UFO reported hovering over a Florida power plant. Now, what did we just learn about uh, power plants? Uh, mutants. Yeah. And uh, so this person <laughs> noticed like an orange stationary orb. It was in the sky, apparently. But it could have just been a tower hovering because you can't, especially in the dark, we lose track of where things are and how things look. It's sort of like the uh, Rendlesham incident where all these soldiers uh, were freaking out over a light on a tower. 
Right. Uh, uh, but I mean, like, let us not reduce Rendell Shim to just that. Oh, I it was, though. It was, on. Brian. All in uh, 2019, Angela, so it was. <laughs> All in on the skeptic side. We're completely separating on uh, the p- topic of the paranormal. I'm going one way, you're going the other. Right. Well, in this instance, I do actually uh, believe in uh, in what you're saying. I mean, the things that, like, they're describing a stationary orb that just sat there for a while, that's a light. And then they described how, like, there was a spotlight of some sort for approximately 10 to 15 seconds before going back to the glow. Doesn't surprise me. Because, again, it was a light most likely on a tower. Now, the thing that does interest me, though, is uh, you mentioned uh, Zach's episode where we talked about uh, UFOs and nukes, and that's uh, Robert Hastings who brings that up. I've seen him on TV a few times. Uh, he, he gets very excited about this, and he gets very upset when people question him on it. Uh, there are interesting stories from people working in nuclear power plants and uh, as well as uh, nuclear missile silos. Uh, I'm going to pronounce it correctly, Brian. Before they, I forget, Angela, before I, I'm going to let you finish, and then we're going to talk about something that uh, I feel is very important to uh, discuss about all this. But go ahead, please. I'm very interested in your thoughts, Dr. Scientist. Well, what I was going to say is that the anecdotes from these uh, people that work at these places where things get shut down in strange ways when there are these lights being reported is sort of interesting, but it could also be that there may have been a malfunction of some kind and the lights were reported just because they were looking for something weird to report. And they noticed these lights that they may have seen in a different way. And it wasn't necessarily a UFO. And the the two things were completely separate. For sure. But I also think that like there is uh, there are too many sort of coincidences to go on in some of these cases, obviously not these two um, in order for them to be very coincidental. I feel like there's a little bit more going on there than than that in certain cases. Definitely not these, though. Um, And also, I was going to mention the best part about all this, my friend, is the comment section of the MUFON article. Oh, I didn't scroll down that far. Oh, Angelo gold here. The first one is from Donna Groom. I've seen two. the number two UFO. Uh, M. Miller says, intelligence gathering light probe released from flying black triangle. Okay. Okay. Huh. Um, uh, Paul gives out the idea that perhaps it could have been a satellite. And then another favorite one of mine is, uh, it's 2019. Everyone has a smartphone. Where are the videos? And then M. Miller says, there are thousands of videos and photos. If you research the archives, the websites, and others. I feel like he's asking about this specifically, though. His iPhone would have worked, and nobody had a Samsung Galaxy S4 around to help him out. You should keep those in the back of your pocket, right? Nothing better than a five-year-old Samsung phone with a outdated Android uh, operating system on it. Maybe that's what's baking through the matrix, though, Angela. So all in 2019, Brian, right? Because we've discussed this before, the idea that like a lot of the tech that we have has been reverse engineered from the Roswell aliens, right? You're following me on this? Well, I, the other day I was scrolling around on my Apple TV and I again noticed Apple's event image on there. And it still looks like a half an alien. Uh, given that, right, so uh, let's let's run with this idea. I know that you don't want to, but please follow me with it, right? So maybe there is a glitch in the matrix to use a sentence that a lot of uh, uh, nice guys uh, like to use uh, and neckbeards love to use. And uh, let's just suggest that perhaps the S4 with this outdated uh, Android build is breaking through and seeing reality. Kind of like the sunglasses from uh, John Carpenter's They Live to tie John Carpenter back into all of this. Uh, maybe his iPhone couldn't catch capture the UFO because it's a better camera and it was actually seeing a streetlight. Maybe uh, this is all seamless and uh, I'm correct and you're not. Did you see this coming, Brian? Did you see this coming? No, no, not at all. I thought for once you'd agree with me. Uh, I do think people should head over to DoubleDensity.net though and check out our guide to uh, properly capturing a UFO. On Have you sent anybody video. to um, reportyoursighting.com uh, uh, No, The Brian Collective and I are, are on the outs currently. I do not wish to discuss this on the air. 
Okay. Even though you said last week that you created the site, but that's okay. Listen, I'm trying to keep the illusion of uh, some kind of intrigue going on here and you're just, you're just ruining it. From week to week, our continuity gets broken all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, it's kind of like our favorite TV shows. One week, Brian was gone. The next week, is just back. Right. And then he talks about this fake collective that he doesn't want to talk about, that he invented himself. It's all good. I do feel, though, coming back to sort of like the topic at hand, that this is just a way in which the brain tries to create order out of a weird chaos, right? Because if you can't rationally think through what you're seeing, then you obviously need to formulate some kind of answers to what it is. The easiest thing, of course, is to suggest UFOs. In cases like this, it's almost like UFOs are the fun answer to come out with. You see something, in this case, a streetlight in a car, and it's kind of cool looking because of the time of day. You take out your phone, you take a picture of this thing or a video, and because... As we've discussed many times, these the cameras on these phones, even as good as they've gotten now, uh, never mind a five-year-old Samsung phone, you're, they're not going to work very well. And they're going to create something even more interesting because of the way they handle those pixels. For sure. Also, something to keep in mind, too, is that it's, it's, it's order out of chaos, right? But it's also the idea that perhaps, perhaps there's a, a wanting to believe, right? Oh, like Fox Mulder. Sort of, but I feel like it's 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 been around before the X-Files, during the X-Files, and after the X-Files. I feel like people do want to believe in this and want to be a part of something special, even when it is, you know, the most mundane thing on Earth, a.k.a. a street lamp that someone's been filming for, <laughs> uh, th- you know, Two hours. minutes and minutes at a time, yeah. So do you feel like I'm uh, sort of stick in the mud because I refuse to believe? Is I, that how you look at me now? No. No, I, I feel like there's more nuance to it. Do I feel like you're a doctor science professor sometimes about things and that you are unwilling to listen to the more interesting aspects of what's out there? Like, for example, like a lot of these other uh, Reynolds from Forest sort of facts that we can talk about later uh, on another episode. I, I do feel like you are, are overtly dismissive sometimes. Sort of like Carl Sagan. Are you also writing science fiction on the side though, where you actually get to encounter aliens? I can't comment on that at this time, Brian. But all that to say, I do feel like um, the interesting thing to note in this case, though, is that News Inside Out actually printed, uh, not printed, but like posted a, uh, a follow-up, which isn't always the case with these, with these sites, right? I will commend them on that. I, I just love the term how they downgraded the biggest UFO sighting of the year to uh, street lamps. <laughs> I mean, once I, you get I, to properly investigate things, because the thing is like they were pushing this video out, right? Because they were like, yo, we, we have something hot on our hands. And I feel like that's sort of emblematic of like the way that the news cycle works is that you push your shocking news out and then get confirmation afterwards. I, I would like to commend them on that, that they actually not, not necessarily retracted what they said, but they corrected it and updated it and let everybody know and not just leave it there to, to make people ponder and wonder, oh, was this actually UFO? Uh, they came out and said, you know what, we made a mistake. And there's nothing I appreciate more than anyone, be it skeptic, believer, uh, scientician, whatever, <laughs> anyone who says that they were wrong about something, that's what science is about. Like To prove things wrong is what you're doing with science. Right. Or, you know, hoping to prove things right, but also understanding that things can go wrong too. Like our friends, the flat earthers. I thought we placed a moratorium on that. Yeah. They, they see like, that's the opposite where they prove themselves wrong. And they said, no, we must be wrong about being wrong. I mean, cause then you get kicked out of the club. Exactly. I feel like this is a logical place to end uh, episode one, four of the double density podcast. How does that sound to you? Angela? It's always good to end it on a flat earth. <laughs> 
<laughs> people can find us on the internet over on twitter double underscore density and you can head over to instagram double density podcast double density dot net click on the contact button let us know what you think you can also click on the host page and then if you click on the article section you can read all about um, different kinds of things i uh, did a long form piece about horror movies and tech i also did uh you know a guide on how to properly shoot a ufo if you see one in the wild i think uh, given the not with a gun though right no, no with video equipment yes okay Okay. Uh, it'd be kind of interesting to see. I've, I haven't seen a setting recently where there was both like film, film shot and then like video shot, right? Who carries around the film camera? Uh, film students. Oh, I guess. Listen, I was I was shooting an eight mil at one point, black and white eight mil. I would have loved to have a uh, you know that lined up and just shoot a UFO with film. Yes, not with a gun or a bazooka or a pulse rifle or whatever else the kids have these days that they're using. Rail guns, gravity uh, guns. If you want to go into Half Life. <laughs> <laughs> let us not do that instead let's discuss next week angelo birds birds and more birds i'm gonna see you next week are these birds on street lamps glowing in the night my friend watch out for the bird tweet tweet <laughs>